Happy New Year. I'm looking forward to this year. Lots to do. Amen? So I got to speak at a funeral on Friday. Miss Susie's uh, ex-husband died, Jeff. Um, the really cool thing was, though, he got sober here and died sober. So, And that's a good thing. He was ornery. But yeah, he uh, died sober, and uh, that's great. I think many of us would um, want to be that in that category. I don't think any of us here could ever say that we want to die in our addiction. And Chelsea, I like the word that you used a lot. You used the word sin, and the title of my message tonight is Sin. I told Michelle, that is so, that, I just, that's so cool. Um, because... Sin is one of those words that if you don't understand it, it's like, it's like one, of those, it's one of those church words. You know, it's one of those condemning words. It's one of those bad words. You're bad, you know? And that's not necessarily what it means. I'm going to actually catch this up. I'm going to read, I'm going to go back through Romans 8 and read verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to kind of get started because that's some really good stuff. All right, uh, so chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Jesus, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. There we go again. That leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us from the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in body, the, uh, and like the bodies of sinners, and it that excuse me, and in that the body of God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And He did not do this so that we can just meet the requirements of the law, but would be sat, would be satisfied for us. For we were no longer for no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So. I looked up sin, and there's, a, there's what they call a religious definition that basically says an immoral act considered a transgression, a transgression against divine law and, or an offense against a moral law or an action that is, be, is felt to be highly reprehensible, like something you wouldn't want to do. I remember um, when, I, and I, when uh, the recovery world looks at addiction as a disease, and, and I understand the process behind that, and I understand the thought process behind that, because once we start using drugs and alcohol, our body does go through physical changes. Our brain goes through physical changes that is very difficult to reverse, and we can start into a disease process that is extremely difficult to reverse. And But the first time I heard of addiction as a sin was here at this church. I didn't take it well. Um, I actually told Nate's dad what he could do. Um, I, I kicked his desk, and I stormed out of his office, office and I slammed the door as hard as I could. Um, and like I said, that's my office today. Um, that was not my plan at the time. But as I looked at this today, I, I thought about that. Addiction, to me, was a reprehensible act. What did addiction do for me? Addiction kept me out of the home, 
It separated from me from my wife on, I think, four or five occasions. It caused me to go to jail. It caused me to lose two careers that I loved dearly. I loved dearly. I loved being a fireman. I loved being a paramedic. But because of my addiction, I lost all of those jobs and ended up living in my car in the parking lot of this church. Now, to me, to go from a career to abandoning your family to losing everything is reprehensible, right? You could try to paint it any way you can. You know, you could put lipstick on a pig, and it's still what? It's still a pig, right? It still looks like a pig. It still oinks like a pig. It still smells like a pig. So I think that we try to ourselves make it look better, make it look prettier, make it not sound so bad, right? And like Chelsea brought up, why would a loving God send somebody or condemn somebody to hell? So that's like saying that Michelle, my loving wife, sent me to jail. Did she send me to jail? No. She was happy I went to jail. But if we look at the law, right, God's law, man's law, there are laws and there are consequences to the laws, right? It says in the Bible that we can live in eternity with God, but there is a process by which we do that. If we choose to ignore that and we wind up somewhere less desirable than heaven, let's call it like it is hell, then is it God's fault? Because I know that when we get pulled over and go to jail, it's not our fault. It's the stupid cop that pulled me over. It's a stupid public defender who doesn't do his job. It's that stupid judge, right? Isn't it? It's not my fault. Well, of course it is. But we don't like to look at that. We don't like to think that we like to be in charge, right? We like to say that we're in charge. We like to take credit when something good happens. But then we want to question stuff like that. Well, why does a good, loving God send people to hell? Well, a good, loving God doesn't send anybody to hell. A good, loving God says, this is the life that you can have. And if you want to stay out of hell, this is what you have got to do. But we have one of the greatest blessings and one of the greatest curses ever given to mankind. And it's called free will. Because we all want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, right? Don't want anybody to tell us how to do it, when to do it. You know, when you're a kid, you don't want anybody to tell you what time to go to bed. Do you want anybody to tell you what you can and can't do? We want to be in charge when it works for us. But when it doesn't work for us, then we want to blame. It's God's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my kid. I just, my kids are out of control. It's their fault. It's my stupid boss's fault. He doesn't pay me enough, so I had to steal some stuff and sell it on eBay, and then I got caught, and then I went to jail, but it's not my fault. If he would have just paid me better, I wouldn't have stole, right? And then we go down that blame game over and over again. We have to actually look at what, maybe look at in your life what you would consider uh, not good. Like, what are the things that I need to do maybe this year or that I am not going to do that aren't? That are, that are not so good. Maybe I want to say, what in my life is reprehensible? What are my boundaries? What are, my, what are the things I'm not going to do this year? I'm not going to be a jerk this year. I'm not going to do this year. I'm not going to do that. What are the things that you are going to set for your boundaries, your laws, your rules? 
What are the things that you're going to be responsible for this year to change? Because who is responsible to change the things in our life? We are. You know, we, we make our plan, but by, the Bible says that God guides our steps, right? We make a plan, and if that is in alignment with what God has in line for us, then those things happen. But, you know, how many of us, you know, we all want to, you know, the reason the lottery is so big, because everybody wants to win the lottery, right? Everybody does. If I could only win the lottery, I would be happy. Well, I really enjoy watching those documentaries from all the water, lottery, lottery winners, where they say, that was the worst day of my life. I won $62 million, right? And I bought a house, and I bought cars, and I bought an airplane, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. I ran out of money. They took my house back. They took my cars back. I'm working back at 7-Eleven, and I'm $89,000 in debt. So how did that lottery winning change your life? Did it change it the way that you thought it? No, it changed it for bad. Was it God's desire that you win the lottery? No, it was your desire. That's what you wanted. Did God allow it? I don't know. I mean, I always say, hey, I, wanna, I would love to win the lottery because I say what everybody else says, I'll, I'll give it all away, right? I would probably give a lot of it away, but I think I would be kind of probably foolish. And I think I would be kind of enamored by the fact that I could just drive up and say, I want that $70,000 truck and go fill it up and park it up front. You know, you know, I can go to the whaling station for dinner every night and have prime rib. That would be nice. But what I have to do is decide that I want to live a life that is free of things that aren't going to, that I'm not going to be embarrassed of. Things that I am going to be able to say, you know what my biggest fear always in my whole life has been? My biggest fear has been that I would die and have not mattered, right? That has always been my biggest fear from the time I was probably in seventh grade, that someday I'm going to die and I'm not going to have mattered. To me, that's awful. That means you did nothing in your life except take care of yourself. You've done nothing to make a difference in anybody else's life. Nobody, you know, I know when I walk around in cemeteries and I look at headstones, I wonder, like, I wonder what that dude did. You know what I mean? I wonder what that lady did, or I wonder what this young person that died did. I wonder how they died, you know? But I think a lot of us would agree that we would like to leave a legacy. We would like our kids to be able to say, yeah, my mom or my dad, they were an addict for a lot of years. But you know what? They really turned it around. They started going to church. They started serving the Lord. They started helping people. They started making a difference. And when my dad died, he was sober, right? Now, if I would have died in my addiction, it would have been Michelle, my ex-wife, Shelly, and my three kids. That would have been, and whatever pastor they paid to come, right? Because there would have been none of them lining up to saying, oh, yeah, I want to go speak at his funeral. 
is that's the guy that just cussed me out, right? Is that how we want to be remembered, or is that who we want to be? I don't think it is who we want to be. So as we go into this new year, I'm excited about the possibility of what can happen this year, about how many people can get sober, how many people can change their life, how many people can come in here and have a difference made in their life, right? You know, I got the opportunity this morning to go with Big Mike, wherever he is, back there. So Big Mike, a few weeks ago, was basically dead, overdose of fentanyl. Um, fire, the uh, paramedics arrived on scene and Narcan him with no response, Narcan him with no response, Narcan him with no response, and transported him to the hospital, and they Narcan him with no response, and Narcan him with no response, and put him on a Narcan trip with no response, put him in the ICU on a ventilator, and was not expected to survive. It was funny hearing, uh, he went this morning to actually talk to the paramedics that responded out there. And, and it was funny because if you know Big Mike, um, he goes, yeah, I, I, was, uh, I, I woke up and I was hungry. So I took that tube that was in my throat and I just ripped it out. Well, Big Mike, that tube has a balloon on the end of it and it's going through your vocal cords and that's why your voice sounds funny still, right? But he just woke up hungry. He wanted to eat. You know, I was hungry and thirsty, but he almost died. But he got the opportunity to go back today to those guys and say, thank you for what you do. You know, and there were, there were a lot of tears in the room, right? There were. Because these people do it day in and day out. Day in and day out, that's all they see is like addict and addict. And they see us at our worst. They don't know who you are. When I crashed and burned and I was at Natividad, I, I just went in there. My chart said as a 40-year-old male, intravenous drug user with necrotizing fasciitis. So basically, anybody looking at my tar- chart just said, dirt bag. We got a dirt bag here, Right? That's who it. We got a dirt bag. Another dirt bag taking up a good bed in the hospital. No insurance, right? So I had a nurse tell me that I deserved what happened to me, right? So I punched her in the face because um, she made me mad. Um, but let me finish. I did apologize her to, to her later, but she had no idea that I was a firefighter paramedic. She had no idea that I had a wife and four kids, that I had spent 18 years serving the community and helping people with addiction. All she saw what was written on paper, a 40-year-old male IV drug user homeless, right? So people will look at you and people will judge you. And if we don't like that, then it's up to us to do something different. It's up to us to be active and proactive and change what we're doing and help to change what other people are doing so that other people have the opportunity so that we, we look at sin and we understand sin and we understand the person struggling with that addiction, we can explain to them how they can get out of that. Maybe we can explain to them or have them look at it so maybe it's not offensive to them. Oh, I'm just a sinner. No, you're just one of those people 
that I think it, this reflects on all of us. It says in the book of Romans, it says, why don't I do the things that I want to do, but I do the very things that I hate? You know, because every addict gets up every day and says, today is the last day. Right? Isn't it? Wake up the next morning, oh, today is the last day. I said that for almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Today is the last day. I won't do it again. I won't lower myself to do that again, but... I continued to do that, but the only way I'm able to not go back there is to know that there is a God that loves me, that cares about me, that is giving me the opportunity to find value or worth in my life by helping others. To me, that's a gift, but that's not a gift that's exclusive to me. You know, why do you think these guys come over and do worship? Because they're bored and they have nothing better to do so they beg Bob, hey, can we come out and sing because we like to hear ourselves sing? No. They come here because they believe in you. They believe in what you are doing. They want to be a part of it with you. They want to worship with you. They want to praise with you. They want to congratulate you. They want to be a part of what you're doing. That's why they do it. They're able to give back, even they've never had an addiction, right? They weren't partiers and, you know, they weren't, you know, out there getting crazy, but that's okay. You don't have to have that testimony to love Jesus and want to serve those that have gone astray. You have to just have a desire to want to do what God's will is. And I, I'm so thankful that they care about us and that they want to come over and they want to share with us because it's like a breath of fresh air, right? We, don't, we can't just have every worship leader that's coming here, you know, you know, be a Bob Langley with Jack Daniels and cocaine, right? Because that's not what the entire world is made up of. The entire world is made up of a, a diversity of people, you know, and thank God we have people that have not had the same background that understand us and know that they want to come and share with us because I think... That shows God's will in somebody's life, having them give of themselves to somebody else who needs it. And I think, I think we are so blessed for it. All right, so we're going to pick up in verse 5. And I'm not going to be able to go real far, but we'll see. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful natures think about sinful things. Now, I think we've all heard the expression about relapse. It happens long before, right? Long before. You start thinking about it. Wow, that would feel really good. Or my wife's out of town, right? My girlfriend is going to be out of town. My mom's going to be gone for the weekend. Nobody's going to know, right? I've been doing so good. I've been clean for like a year. I deserve a reward. Because that'll feel good. I know a, a young man by the name of Brian, who had been clean for a long time, who he believed he deserved a reward. Right? He was at home alone with his son. Decided he deserved a reward. He's been doing good. I had just had lunch with him two days earlier. So he called a babysitter and had him come pick up his son. 
And he went out and picked up his reward, took it home, took it into the bathroom, and was found dead in the same bathroom two days later. That was his reward. So the sin doesn't always necessarily happen, and it could, but generally, if you think about your issues or your time, you plan the liquor store you're going to go to. You plan what you're going to buy. You already know what it's going to taste like when you swallow it, right? When I watch Pulp Fiction, in that there's a, the, the, the famous scene where, they, uh, where they're shooting up, I mean, I have a physical response when I see that. I taste that taste in my mouth. I feel it because that it was a part of my life for so long. So what I'm saying to you is, is the things that we think about tend to be the things that we do. Now let's say you spent that same time that morning or whatever thinking about, I'm going to go volunteer Meals on Wheels today. Or I'm going to call Ernst. I know he has a bunch of stuff out in his backyard he's been wanting to get down for a long time. So I'm going to call him up, and I'm going to volunteer my time to go help him. I'm going to think about somebody else. I'm going to get out of my head. I'm going to get out of my way. I'm not going to sit in, in the house all day and think about Michelle's gone. I'm going to call the connection, right? Because it's those things that we concentrate on, that we focus on, it says we are dominated by the sinful nature. We think about sinful things. So we have to focus on other things. There's a journal that we do at the bridge. It's called the power of self-talk. Okay, Because what we tell ourselves is so powerful. If we tell ourselves, oh, I'm never going to make it. I can't do it. I'm never going to be able to get that job. Or I'm never going to be able to get sober. I'm never going to be a good husband. I'm never going to be a good wife. I'm never going to be a good friend. Guess what? That's what you can end up with. But what we need to tell ourselves is, I can. I, I, can, I can be a good husband. I can be a good father. I can be a good friend. I can be a good employee. I can be a disciple. I can help others. I can help myself. But it's when we start telling ourselves, I can't, I can't, I can't. You talk yourselves out of so many things. You talk yourselves out of jobs, out of relationships, Unfortunately, what I see way too often is you talk yourself right out of a program, and then when you get to jail, it's beep, 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 beep. We have a collect call from the Monterey County Jail. <laughs> and I know they don't want to call me. They don't. Because I, I already done told them, when you get to jail, call me. Right? And I'm not saying that to be rude. I'm saying that so they know when they get to jail, they can call me. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to condemn them. That's not my job. I'm just going to give them another opportunity to do something different. So don't be, don't be in that sinful nature and think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about the things that please the Spirit. Think about positive things. Think about good things, you know? I know that when I'm driving around in my, like, I drive around in all the different bridge vehicles. The rule for a bridge vehicle is Christian music, right? It is. So we know for a fact that whenever I get into a bridge vehicle and I turn on that car, I know that it's Christian music. I know that. Right? 
All you people that drive the bridge vehicles, am I right? 100% of the time, right? The other day I had the opportunity to be in three different vehicles. Vehicle number one, Christian. Ooh, cool. Vehicle number two, yeah. Vehicle number three, I wanted to beat my head against the window. It was the most gnarly jazz. And it wasn't skillet. It wasn't Christian rap, you know. It wasn't, you know, it was just, it was just trash music. And I just, it was just like making me crazy. You know, I've, I don't know if I'm just getting old or if I just don't, my taste isn't there anymore. I felt so much better listening to something uplifting, something encouraging, something that encouraged me, something that made me feel good, you know? Like the, the, the music you guys sang tonight, that's encouraging, it's uplifting, it's edifying. It makes you feel good, it makes you think happy thoughts, you know? If you eat junk all day, you're going to feel like crap, right? If you listen to music all day, you're going to get into kind of a, a, kind of a funk. But if you're listening to m- music that's uplifting and encouraging, you're going to get into a space, a headspace that is actually healthy. And you're going to, and, I, and I'm going to say this, you're going to make better choices because you're going to be in a better headspace to make better choices. You know, I started listening to Christian music because I wanted to prove the K-love sounded so lame to me. And I, I was not happy. You know, take the Caleb challenge. Listen to Christian music for 30 days. And I, I told everybody, I'm going to do that stupid challenge. And I did that stupid challenge. And then when I started listening to other stations, it just kind of annoyed me. Because everything was perverted, everything was dirty, everything was a prank, everything was kind of like snarky. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was funny, but in the old kind of way, right? The kind of way that I'm trying to kind of get away from, the person I'm trying not to be, you know? So I would have to say, no, 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 don't get me wrong, let me be perfectly clear. If I'm going to pop on some headphones and I'm going to go for a run, right, you bet, man, there's going to be some Van Halen on there, right? But a little bit of Pink Floyd, you know, maybe some ACDC. But those are brief moments. That's not primarily what I, you know, I tend to eat a, a healthy diet, but I, I, want a, I want a candy bar or I want to go to Baskin Robbins. I'm not saying deprive yourself. I'm saying use self-control. If that's all you're feeding yourself is just, insanity, you're going to end up kind of going back, you know, because think about it, because when you start listening to that old music, you know, it just gets you all pumped up. Not always in the healthiest way. Yeah, I want to go bust some heads. Yeah, I'm going to go get drunk. Yeah, you know, let me smoke something, right? Because that's what we did when we did that, right? You know, I grew up getting drunk on ACDC and Van Halen and, and Quiet Riot and all, you know, just like, you know, Lyrics, bang your head, you know what I mean? Yeah, doesn't that sound like fun? Yeah, get drunk and just bang your head all night. But it says, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. So it's about setting up your life in a different way, finding out for you what is reprehensible, you know, 
Are you, you know, are you, are you a bad person if you listen to rock and roll music? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is have some balance in your life. You can't live on candy, right? I keep looking at Michelle. We, we got this donation from, from a store. And it was awful. We got like 500 bags of these candies called Take Five. Oh, some of you know what I'm talking about. Chocolate, caramel, and one of those square pretzels. Look like tic-tac-toe. Oh, yeah. Michelle and I could have never used drugs together. Never. We would have, I mean, we, yesterday I came home and I said, do not, do not, do not. They're locked up in a shed. It's raining outside. Do not go outside and bring one more bag of those candies in the house. Sit down to watch. We're going to watch some Netflix. She, she goes, Baskin Robbins or Take Five? <laughs> Two bags! <laughs> so if anybody wants to come to my house after and get about 300 bags of Take Five, follow me home. You can have them. But what I'm saying is it's fun, but we can't just live on those candy bars every day. We need to live on healthy foods. We need to live on healthy music. We need to live on healthy habits. We need to have healthy friends. We need to have people in our life that have boundaries, that have balance, right? Because if we hang out with the people that we used to hang out with, they are skewed one way completely. For me now, I can, I can go back there. I can go to Chinatown. I can go to the park, and I can hang out at the needle exchange, and I can talk to people because I live a healthy lifestyle that's balanced, and I'm not going to get sucked back into that world. I love going, but I feel really bad because I've been around long enough that I, I, Austin and I would go, and we would stand there, and people would pull up, and they would see me, and I'm like, oh, hey, they would just drive right on through, and... I feel like I can't even come here anymore. They're coming for clean needles and new crack pipes and Narcan, and they see me, and they just keep right on going. I told Austin, I said, I feel bad. I feel like I shouldn't even be here anymore. But I'm able to be there because I live a balanced life now. So I'm able to be there and be able to answer questions or talk to people or offer treatment for them. And yes, there are those that see me as a as a, uh, I don't know if they're shamed or if they're embarrassed, but that's not what I want them to be. I want them to, the gal pulled up last week that I hadn't seen in a long time. I just saw her a week ago, and she was telling me, man, I'm doing so good. I'm sober. I got this new job. And then she pulls up the needle exchange. I'm like, all right. But don't be embarrassed and leave. Give me an opportunity to, to talk. I'm not going to condemn, you know. That's not what it's there for. It's there to help. But I think all of us have that in our kind of, once we start getting sober, we, we start bearing what's called fruit, and we start, wanting, we start being interested in people changing. We start becoming interested in people getting better, helping people, right? Like, hey, I want to help. 
I want to help you. I really want to be there for you and offer that service and offer that advice. That's something that, that Community Hospital is trying to do so much with EMS and the fire service in, the, in, in Monterey County is offer help to people because what keeps an addict away from help is shame. It's the way we're treated when we go to the emergency room like we're a dirt bag. You know, you're a you're a 27-year-old IV drug user, boom. So you don't, you must not matter. You must not count. You must be a bad or a terrible person. No. We're just a person that's caught up in this nature that we don't know how to get out of. And we need help. You know, we need somebody to love us, somebody to be compassionate, somebody to let us know it's okay to struggle and point us into a different direction. And this is just one of the many directions that people are pointed in. People either are sent to a higher power and they kind of invent something in their life and they try to use that to control their life. And for some people, apparently it can work. For me, it didn't. I needed to know what, what is the higher power? You got to tell me what it is. You know, I'm an analytical person. You got to show me. Oh, he's invisible? Oh. So then that took some doing for me. But I tell you what, I believe in this invisible God so much that I've dedicated my life to him. I've dedicated, and I'm dedicating my life to trying to help other people understand that he is real. You know, that he is able to change your life because I've seen it so many times. When I'm at the, at the, uh, at the EMS thing today and they're talking, they're telling these paramedics, hey, we have, we have navigators we have people that work in the emergency department that are there to talk to you and get you into treatment. And I got to say, yeah, and one of them graduated from the bridge. You know, and the, the paramedics were just like, they were like, what? I would have loved to have told them about Chelsea, you know. I, the success stories that, that people don't seem to understand that there are out there. Because we only... The news only kind of wants to report the bad, right? Because it, it's really what catches, your, catches and drives, drives people. It's just bad news. They don't ever stop and say, well, what about all the people that are doing well? What, all, what about all the people that are recovered or are now productive members of society that have jobs, that are parents again, that are married again, that have all these things back? What about them? Well, that doesn't, that doesn't sell newspapers. That doesn't cause people to turn on to a news station. Many years ago... There was a group in Monterey that started a newspaper. It was called The Good News. And I read their first edition. It was, like, cool. It was full of, like, really good, good stories. The only problem was nobody bought it. They gave them away. People read them. They got rave reviews. But nobody advertised in them because nobody was willing to pay them because people just want to hear about so-and-so got shot and stabbed and robbed and beaten and drug behind a car and kidnapped, right? They didn't want to hear that so-and-so got sober and got a good job or, you know, or went to family court and got their kids back. That's not what was driving people. What, was, what drives people is bad news, you know? And that's unfortunate because there is so much good out there that we can get from God in a relationship with God and from a program that can uh, put us back into the right direction 
It says that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So if you're living in that lifestyle, you, 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 can't, you can't serve two masters, you know? Like I say all the time, either make the change or go back to do what you're doing, right? And I'm not saying I want anybody to relapse, but what I'm saying is you for yourself have to make that decision. I'm either here or I'm here because you can't be in two places at one time. I know how good we think we are and like, they talk about, like, I can multitask. I can do 20 things at once. No, you could do one thing at a time pretty good. You can do 20 things at a time terrible. There you go. Do pay very little attention to any of it. You get 20th of your attention, right? So you have to figure out your life and your addiction and say, I'm either going to devote 100% to this or I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing. Because really, honestly, that's choice. Because if you're doing both of them halfway, you're not doing anything. What you're doing is giving a bunch of people in your family a bunch of false hope that's never going to come to fruition. You know, maybe, 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 oh, maybe, maybe my mom's going to come back. Maybe, maybe, you know, or maybe my dad's going to come back, you know. I know that Susie, and I'm not trying to put her on blast, hoped her whole, as long as I've known Susie, and I've known Susie for a long time, always hoped that she would get back with her husband. She did. That was always my, I, I really, I love Jeff. I want to, you know, I, I would love to be a family again. It never happened. It never happened. He died sober, but he never in his sobriety made the choice to be fully in one side or the other. It's straddling the line that caused a lot of people to have a lot of hope for a lot of years that never, went, ne never came to anything. So I would say to you, figure out what you want to do. And if, if, if that life is what you want, go for it. You know, go do it. Because nothing I'm going to say is going to stop you. I, I stopped trying to talk, pe talk people out of going back a long time ago. Because all I do is waste 10 minutes of their time that they could have, been, they could have spent getting high listening to me. Because nothing I'm going to say is going to change your mind. If you don't want it for you, or you don't want it for your family then there's nothing anybody's going to do to make you want it. If the fear of death is not enough, if the fear of jail is not enough, if the fear of being separated from your wife or your children is not enough, then I don't know what is. You know, if the fear of hell doesn't bother you, I know we, we're cavalier and we joke about it. I grew up my whole life saying I'm going to hell because that's where all my friends will be. Well, I hope God didn't take me really seriously because my life has changed a little bit and I believe the opposite now. I want to go to heaven because that's where the majority of my friends are going to be, I hope. Because life does change. And we have to decide what part of that we want to play. How serious are we going to take our future? You know, what one thing can you change this year that's going to make your year different and better? Or do you have anxiety about, about the year? You know, I think right now, tonight, if you're here and you're safe and you're warm and you're dry and you're sober, amen, the battle is half won. You know, you've made it into the restaurant, you've sat down, you got the menu, now you just got to order. Find out what you like. What do I like? Think about that. What do I like and what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? Tommy and I were reading all these questions in our office today 
Like, they were called icebreakers for addicts, right? Where do you want to be next year tonight? Where do you want to be? Some of you possibly will be dead. Some of you possibly will be in jail. Some of you possibly will be homeless, right? Amen. And some of you will be right here. But the decision of where you're going to be is whose? Okay, it's not God's fault. I really wanted to be at Regia next year, but you know, God, he just, you know, he fried me. You know, it was his fault. It was that stupid cop that did his job, that stupid judge that did his job, the stupid guards at the jail. You know, no, we, we have free will. Like I said, it's the greatest and the biggest gift. It's the best and the worst gift that we've ever gotten. We have, we have the will to do whatever we want, and God just hopes that we use our will to do his will. Amen? So, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity yet to start another year anew and afresh and do something different than we've ever did before, Lord, to do the best that we can do, to be the person that we've always wanted to be, to be the person that you've always wanted us to be. So, Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.